It's God's love that we are challenged to be agents of. We're living in a love-starved, love-confused, love-dysfunctional world. And the reason that's true is because people today are chasing the illusion of love that Hollywood puts out, that romance novels put out, that TV puts out. It's love is an illusion. It's not real love. It's not love that will satisfy. It's not love that can be maintained over a long time. We, as the people of God, we as believers in Jesus Christ, are challenged by God to be real agents of real love. God's love. Love that will satisfy. Love that will build and not tear down. Love that will encourage and not discourage. And so that is our opportunity. Now as we do that, as we engage in that for God, it's also going to positively impact our relationships. It's going to make our marriages stronger, our families stronger, our friendships stronger, our, our relationship with those we work with and those that we interact with all week long. Every relationship is going to prosper in our life. So it's not something that, that we do out of obligation, it's something that we do out of expectation. Now last week we discovered that the kind of love that God wants us to be agents of is described in the Bible by translating the Greek word, and again, the entire New Testament is written in Greek and Aramaic, it's the word agape. It is the highest, most pure form of love that is expressed in the Greek language. It's so pure, it's so almost sacred, that it's hardly ever used in secular Greek literature. But it's the word that is used prolifically in the gospel, in the New Testament, because this is the kind of love we're supposed to be agents of. It's not based on romance. It's not based on just friendship and loyalty. It's based on self-sacrifice. It's love, as we discovered last week, that takes a bullet. Now what makes it different than romantic love and passionate love or, or erotic love? What makes it different than just friendship and loyalty and, and mutual respect? It's not based on emotion. It's not based on some kind of loyalty. It is based on commitment that comes as a result of a decision. Agape love says, I'm going to love that person because God asked me to love him. I'm going to love her because God needs me to love her. And it's not based on anything that she is going to give to me or any response that he is going to give to me. It is based on a commitment that I am making. I have made a decision to commit to employ agape love, self-sacrificing love, love that takes a bullet in the life of this person. See, that's the ideal of the wedding ceremony we talked about last week. When couples are giving their vows for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. It is a commitment to a decision. I am choosing you and I am committing to you to love and to cherish until death do us part. The highest demonstration of agape love is the love that God extended towards us. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His agape, His love in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still ugly in His sight, while we were still rebellious, while we were still indifferent, God made a decision that He was going to love us in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our indifference, in spite of our apathy, God said, I'm going to decide to love them because of my grace and because I am a God of love. 
Now, to, we, we ended up last week talking about what the face of love was. What does agape love look like? And we went back to that, that divinely inspired portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where literally God inspired through the Holy Spirit the Apostle Paul to write a letter to the church at Corinth that was a very unloving church. And God gave them the formula for agape love, the formula for real love that will make a difference in the world. And so we decided last week that what it looks like is patience and kindness. And we don't have time to, to review that, so if you missed the message, I hope you'll catch up either on our website or, or get one of the CDs. But that's what it looks like. Now today, I want to start talking about the heart of real love. And the question here is, how does real love behave? And returning to that divinely inspired formula for love that God gave the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul gave to the church of Corinth, and that has now been passed down to us in the New Testament of the Bible, it gives us the description of true love. It says, agape does not envy. Love is not jealous. I would venture to say there's not a man, there's not a woman here today who has never been bitten by the envy monster, by the jealous monster. It's part of our human nature. Some have described it as a sadness or a sorrow due to the success or good fortune of another. It's like they're more fortunate than we are. They're, they're more successful than we are. They've got something that we don't have, and it causes in me sadness. It's a pain that I feel while others are feeling pleasure and good fortune. And we've all been bit by that monster. We envy in others' time. This is often a, a big challenge in, in, a, in a couple's life who has a newborn. And up to that time, it's just been them, and they've been great, and having romance, and all this kind of, and all of a sudden, the baby comes into the picture. And it's demanding all of mom's time. And oftentimes, husbands will become jealous of the time that mom is spending with the child and not spending with him. It's sometimes time that's in, in the home that's jealous. And maybe the wife is jealous of, of the husband's time and, and, and he doesn't have to, to, to be with the kids all the time. Maybe the husband's jealous of the wife because she gets to be with the kids more than he does. We can be jealous and envious of talents. We see people who have some talent, a musical talent, an athletic ability, a, a sales ability, a business ability. And that talent is taking them to places that, that we're only imagining going to. And we just get really envious and, and jealous of them. And we become sad because we're not experiencing that. It can be success. It can be relationships. This is a huge area where people become jealous and envious of each other. In fact, we can pick up the paper every single day and read of murders that have happened because of envy and jealousy in relationships. But it's not only on that level. Oftentimes, within a family, within children, there's sibling rivalry. And one child will get jealous of another child because that child perceives that they're getting more attention from mom and dad, or, or that child is more successful in school, that child is more popular. And, and so we, we get these, these jealous and envious relationships. Popularity. It starts in school, doesn't it? Just some kids, they just, seems everyone wants to be around them and all the teachers give, seem to give them special attention and, and we just get jealous of, of, of their success and of, and of their, all the attention that they get. But that bleeds over into our adult life too because that can happen at the office and 
One person or two people, they seem to be always to be invited out by the boss after work for, for, for uh, dinner or drinks or to a, to a game or something like that. And, and we feel left out. It can be personality. Some people have these effervescent personalities and, and, and we're kind of introverted and shy and they go someplace and they're the life of the party and we're kind of sitting back there and no one's talking to us and we're just kind of lonely and isolated. It could be looks. Not everyone can look like me. <laughs> and we see someone who's really beautiful, someone who's really handsome and we look in the mirror every morning and we go... Big loser sign. Opportunity, money, career, anything. That we look at someone else and say, they've got it going. They're successful. But that's not agape love. In fact, the Bible says, in divinely inspired definition, it says, envy and jealousy is not agape love. I love the way a young pastor named Bob Deffenbaugh wrote about this. He said, Envy is incompatible with agape love for a very good reason. Love seeks the benefit and well-being of another, so much so that it is willing to make a personal sacrifice to facilitate it. Why? Because agape's love is love that takes a bullet. But look how he ends this. I love this. When others prosper at our expense, this is precisely what agape love intends. That's exactly how it should be. We're not envious. We are celebrating with their success. And possibly we have even sacrificed to help them to be successful. Agape love isn't jealous of others. Agape love is sacrificing for others and serving others. James 3.16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. And that's why we have so much conflict in the world today. That's how we have so much conflict in some of our families, in some of our marriages, in our friendships, in our workplaces, even in our churches. Because we're not looking for what we can give and sacrifice for others. We're looking for what they can do to bring more success and self-fulfillment to us. Maybe you're struggling with envy. And this particular behavior is resonating with you today. Well, let me encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one is to face your feelings. Don't deny it. Just come out and say, you know what? I'm having a problem with this. I'm jealous in this particular situation. I'm envious of this particular person. This is not, I recognize it now. God right now has revealed it to me. This is not right. I am not employing agape love. And just admit it. And it's okay because none of us have everything perfected. We're all on the journey. We're all still working on being better sons and daughters of God, being better agents of agape love. Then search your heart and your life. Oftentimes that struggle that you're having right now with this person or this thing, the root of it really is far back someplace in your life. It's something that might even happen in your childhood. And it's something that you didn't, you didn't deal with and you haven't taken care of yet. And so it's just perpetuating itself over and over again in relationships with other people. And you've never dealt with the issue there. And so now you're carrying it into other places. So examine it. And then stop comparing yourself to everyone else. God has wired us all different. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that God knit us together when we were in our mom's womb. He made you exactly like you are. And you're not meant to compare yourself with someone he made differently. And some, with someone he has a different plan to, and a different agenda for. 
He's got a plan for you. He's got an agenda for you. He wired you to be exactly the person you are. Stop comparing yourself with others. You're always going to fall short because what you're going to compare yourself to is your shortcomings and their strengths. You've got to focus on your strengths. God has given you strengths. And that is what you need to identify and focus on so that you can use your strengths and act out of your strengths to be an agent of agape love to other people. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Agape does not envy, it's not jealous. It also goes on to say that agape love does not boast, it doesn't brag. Boasting and bragging is the reverse of envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy, we're, we're kind of envious and jealous of somebody else's good fortune. Boasting is we are in danger of causing others to envy and be jealous of us. We're presenting ourselves as something they are not. And we are presenting ourselves either intentionally or unintentionally as, as superior to them. And that cultivates and gives birth to them inside them of those feelings of sorrow and pain. I love this little cartoon. A duck is standing with this little duck egg and this big ostrich is towering over top and saying, You call that an egg, I'll show you an egg. That's kind of sometimes how we interact with other people. Always one up in their story and one up in their experience. Oh, you think that's something? Listen to me. What do we boast about? The same things that we envy. Boast about our time? Yeah, the boss invited me to go to the heat game again. Sat right down there, center court on the, on the floor. It was a lot of fun. We had a good time and we're talking to other co-workers who the boss has never invited to the game. Say, we're, we're presenting ourselves as the end people. Talent. Yeah, I'm going to take you out and play golf with you. I, you know, I shoot in the 60s, you shoot in 160. And that's supposed to make you feel good, right? See, even though we're not intentionally doing it, we're putting them in a position to be hurt and, and, and to be compared in a negative sense. Success relation, it's all the same things. And we can, even unintentionally, through our successes, gloat our successes. Hey, I signed five contracts today with somebody. How'd you do? Oh, none? Well, you just keep out there and doing it. You know? Listen. This world doesn't need more braggarts. There's plenty of them out there. What this world needs is humble men and women. Humble men and women of Jesus Christ. Whose heart is to heal. Whose heart is to encourage. And not to tear down. Boasting is a technique sometimes used to control and intimidate others. The parent standing over their child. After all I've done for you. And this is how you treat me. After me cooking your meals and washing your clothes and making your bed and feeding you and, and this is the this is the reward I get. It's a form of boasting. The husband intimidating his wife, controlling his wife. I just keep carrying the road around here. When are you going to start contributing something to this family? See, it's a technique that sometimes we use negatively and destructively. First Corinthians four seven. Who makes you different from anyone else? For what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though it was you did not receive it? 
Here's the truth of the matter. If you are one of those men and women who are fortunate to have great physical beauty, you didn't do anything to get it. Now, you may enhance it artificially. But God gave it to you. You just happened to have some genes that made you a beautiful, handsome person. If you have some natural talent, it's exactly that. It's a natural talent that God wired together in you. Now, you may have honed that talent, but God gave it to you. If you have success in a job, if you've got a job, it's not because you're so wonderful, it's because God has blessed you. See? Stephen Cole, another pastor, said this, Love, agape, is humble. The humble, loving person is aware that everything he has is an undeserved gift from God. So he doesn't boast, but I love this, but thankfully uses what God has given to read it with me. Serve others. See, that's the love we're to be agents of. Early in my life, I had a wonderful mentor who taught me a definition of humility that I've never forgotten and I've tried to live by. And that's this, that humility is realizing that God and others are actually responsible for the achievements in my life. It's not me. It's those that God has surrounded me with. And it's the blessing that God brings into my life. Agape does not boast. Closely akin to it, agape is not proud. Now, they're they're similar, but they're not the same. See, boasting is an action that we take, either intentionally or unintentionally. Pride is an attitude that we live out of. Proverbs 11.2 When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16.18 Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. This is the, the absolute classic illustration of this truth comes through the person of Lucifer. Lucifer, the devil, Satan, as we know him today, was created by God to be the most majestic angel ever created. He was the leader of all the angels. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, describes his beauty, his physical beauty, his spiritual beauty. Even the voice that he sang with was beautiful. But Isaiah demonstrates where he got pride. And he was proud of all that. And he began to say, I will exalt myself above the Most High. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. And immediately eternal disgrace and condemnation came upon him. And he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels of heaven who rebelled with him. Pride comes before a fall. And we see it every day in the lives of celebrities. And we've seen it in our own lives, haven't we? Too proud to say, I'm sorry. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to say those two words? Some people are just so proud that they cannot utter those words. And yet those two little words, I'm sorry, have power in them. The power to heal. The power to reconcile. The power to restore. The power to move past hurt and move past abuse and move past mistakes and build relationship again. Too proud to say, I'm wrong. How many of you do it right every single time? You're never wrong. I saw somebody nudge their partner. We all 
make mistakes. We're not right 100% of the time. As a parent, I remember many times when I made the wrong decision with my children. I remember when I kind of lashed out at them when they really didn't deserve that. I know times that I didn't know all the story. I know times, as your pastor, I've made a wrong decision. Why is it so hard for us to admit that? Why do we think we have to have it right all the time? When actually, if we follow agape love, and we're willing to admit that we're not always right, it empowers us, because people respect us then. We don't want to hang out with people at work that are always right, and they always think they're right, and they never think they're wrong, do we? We don't want to go on vacation with people like that. But with humble people, we want to be in their presence and we want them in our presence because their, their humility is a healing presence. It's an encouraging presence. And that's the presence that we as men and women of God are intended by God to have everywhere we go. Seeking help. Sometimes we struggle with addictions and compulsive behaviors and, and temper and anger and all those things. And, and we know it's a problem and we see the carnage that it's causing in our relationships and in our life. And yet, instead of doing something about it, instead of seeking help, our pride sets in, and we just continue to live in that dysfunction. And as long as we live there, we cannot be agents of agape love. Associate with inferiors. Oh, I can't hang out with them. You know where they live? They live in that neighborhood over there. Oh, I can't be associated with them. I'm a business professional. I'm a CEO, and they're they're a laborer. Oh, I, I, I can't be around them. Get this. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth as a baby, born in a barn, laid in a manger as his first crib. He was so humble. That during his life, you read the scriptures, you read the gospels, that oftentimes he went into town and people said, Who's Je- where is he? We don't even know what he looks like. And he was God. He hung out and he hangs out with we inferiors today. First Peter 5.5 5, All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud. You know, when we're acting out of pride, Do you understand that God is not working with us in that? He actually can't use us as agents of love when we're living that way. We're not being effective for the kingdom. We're not building. We are tearing down. And he says God opposes that. But look what it says. He gives grace to the humble. What is grace? What's he given to the humble? Grace can be defined as unmerited favor. Grace is things we don't deserve. Grace are things that that we could never accomplish for ourselves. We could never earn. We could never buy. We could never work hard enough for. But God extends His abounding grace in the lives of people who embrace agape humility. Finally for today, what does love look like? The Bible says it's not rude. It's not rude. Not a lot of us right now might be kind of saying, okay, good, at least I get out of one of them today. I'm not rude. Oh, really? 
Now, you may not be intentionally rude. You may not be crass. You may not go around belching in public and flatulating in public. That don't mean you're not rude. What are some of the most common rude behaviors today? How about interrupting? Someone's talking to you. They're trying to get their, their, their point of view across to you. And, and while they're talking, you're not even listening to what they're saying. You're thinking about how you're going to respond. And before they even finish their thought, you're interrupting them and telling them what your idea is and what your perspective is. Or someone is telling you a story and they're, they're pouring out their heart of, of something that's happened in their life and, and immediately you interrupt them and you one-up them. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, listen, that's nothing. Listen to what happened to me. Huh? Interrupting conversations. Just walking in on people. Instead of saying, is this a good time? Instead of asking, is this a good time for you to talk right now? We just start going off. We just start talking about what our agenda is. How about tardiness? Showing up late for appointments. Showing up late. Someone invites you over for dinner. You come 30 minutes late. Or you don't show up in time for a meeting. You know, this causes physical pain in some people. How about disrespect? When we disrespectful towards people. Disrespect cutting them off on the highway. Disrespect not allowing them to have part of a success at the office. Bad language, ignoring sarcasm. Some of us have really sharp tongues. Ridiculing, public scolding, intentional embarrassment. You know, one of the the greatest things that has brought rudeness into our culture today is the cell phones that we're carrying in our pockets and in our purses today. How many times you're talking there with somebody and you're talking about something all of a sudden you hear the text message come in and boom. Or pick up the phone and answer the phone. You know, I've really tried to be more sensitive in myself and I have discovered how many times I have been rude with my own cell phone. Sitting at the stoplight, texting, light has turned 30 seconds ago, and we're still sitting there. It's rude. So often, and I have to believe, more often unintentionally than intentionally, but the end result is the same. If you have a problem with rudeness, Let me first suggest that before you act or before you speak, you think about the consequences. Think about, how is this going to be taken if I respond this way? You might think you're just going to give a little kind of sarcastic joke, but is that person in a place where they can receive a sarcastic joke right now? Or maybe, is this something that needs to be said or done? Do I really need to do this, or am I just trying to be cute? Am I trying to draw attention to myself? Am I trying to drive my point home and... and intimidate this person can my action be taken wrong the golden rule if what I'm about to say to this person was said to me how would it make me feel if what I'm about to do this person did to me how would it make me feel and also there's other tip offs watch for a person's response to something you say or something you do and you can see how they've received that. And if you see their countenance change to a negative way, instead of just ignoring it, or even using it to further intimidate them, 
Stop and say, wait a minute, something just happened. I saw a change in your face just now. I saw a change in your countenance right now. And I fear that I might have done something. I might have said something that either you misrepresented or even I miscommunicated. Talk to me about how you're feeling right now. And bring that reconciliation. See, people respect that. And you're telling them that you honor how they feel. You're telling them you honor how you've made them feel. Just like God is very sensitive about how we feel. 1 Peter 2.17 Show proper respect to everyone. That even means the obnoxious people in our life and those who try to abuse us because that's the very intent of agape love. We are called to be agents of God's love. So far we've learned through a divinely inspired formula of what it looks like, and we've begun today to understand in part how it behaves. And how does it look? It's patient. It's kind. How does it behave? It doesn't envy. It's not jealous. It's the opposite. It rejoices in the success of others. And it does everything that we can to be part of that success. doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. Now, let me leave you with two questions this morning, two challenges. Now it's time to get involved in it. We've learned about it. Now it's time to do something with it. First question is this. What could you change about yourself today that would make you a better agent of God's agape love. As you've listened to this lesson today, as you listen to this message, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What has the Holy Spirit identified in you that you could change about yourself beginning today? You can leave here today saying, this is something that I could do that would make you a more influential, a more impactful encourager, healer, an agent of God's love. Question number one. Question number two. Who in your life today needs a stronger agent of agape love? Who in your life needs agape love? Who in your life needs a healer? Who does in your life need someone who will self-sacrifice to help them over a hump, to help give them encouragement, to help them in their self-esteem, to help them in their success on the job, to help them have a stronger marriage, to help them be a better parent. Who in your life right now would God identify who needs this love? That you could be one person or a link in the chain of resources that God brings into their life to bring encouragement and healing. Let's bow our heads. What can you change about yourself today? Who in your life needs agape love? Father, we love you. And God, we want to be the kind of sons and daughters that you have empowered us to be. Lord, this world needs not just churchgoers. This world needs Christians. Christ followers. 
People who get it and pass it on. And Lord, one of the ways, the most powerful way, that's why you said to your disciples, this is how men shall know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Not for how many scriptures we can quote. Not for how, what kind of programs we have in the church. It's about love. God, help us to get it, to own it, to deploy it, and to be used by you in powerful ways. We dedicate ourselves to you afresh today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's be agents of God's love. Let's start today in our own families, okay? In our own marriages, with our own kids, with our own friends, our neighbors, and tomorrow when we go to work, let's go with a new purpose into the office. Let's go and say, who needs agape love in my office today? And watch how it will not only impact them, watch how it will make your life blossom. Because whenever we give to God, God extends His grace to us, His unmerited favor. Just before we leave today, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you don't know that heaven's going to be your home. I know you hope so, and, and i got to believe that at least in part you believe in God and eternity or you wouldn't be here today. But you've never sealed the deal with God. Or maybe you're living under the illusion that somehow you can live a good enough life to merit Him welcoming you into His eternal kingdom. Well, can I lovingly, lovingly, sensitively, not rudely, exhort you that that's not what the Bible says? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't leave this campus that way. Come to me after the service. Come to one of our deacons at the door. Come to someone at the Welcome Center, the Connection Center, the Resource Table, anywhere. Just tell somebody, you know, I really want to leave here knowing heaven's going to be my home. That's all you've got to say. They'll get you to one of us. And we'll sit down with you privately, sensitively, and we'll show you how you can leave this campus today knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, not because of our church and our doctrine here, but because of what the Bible says about eternal life. You can leave here knowing that you have been changed forever.